Hello and welcome back to the Everyone's A Football Critic podcast with me, Zach, and as always my co-host, Cal. Callum, how are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I've unfortunately not watched a lot of football this week. It's been quite disappointing. I'm, my house contract ends in a few days, so I've had a lot of sorting out and like real adult things to do, which I don't really want to do. I'd much prefer to sit and watch the football. But it means I haven't, I haven't, I realised this week, I haven't actually watched a single Italy game yet, and they're the favourites currently. That's madness. Uh, look at me pulling up the slack of this bloody podcast. Um, having, to watch, ha- having to watch all the games no life outside of football just to cover your ass you're um, hating it aren't you uh, hating having it obviously spend all your time watching football it's a horrible life <laughs> I do not move from one seat on the sofa from two o'clock every day but no that that is that is bizarre it, Italy have been good but um, yeah I mean, I'm interested to see how they get on in the knockout stage but today we are obviously going to do our usual rundown of the England game talk a bit in depth about that We'll then go over some of the other games as well. Favourite game, individual performance, our biggest surprise, biggest disappointment, etc. As we have done the last few episodes. Uh, and then we're also just going to do a little bit of a preview of um, the knockout stage by the last 16 games. Um, and a little bit of a analysis of our predictions of the groups that we offered at the start of the tournament to see how far off we were. Because I think we were quite wrong <laughs> on a few of these. There have been some surprises. <laughs> Um, but that's okay. That's football. Um, so we'll start with the England game. Overall, Callum, what did you think of the performance? Uh, I thought it was the same as the last two games. I feel mm. like we 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 kind of it's been the same. It has. It's been the same approach in all three games. Um, it's been very similar in all three games. Um, where I think we we're probably slightly wor- probably worst against Scotland, potentially best against. Croatia, but there's not much in it like I either way. Um, another clean sheet. That's a huge positive. We've not. We're one of. Is it just Italy who haven't conceded as well? I think so. Yeah. Um, certainly not. Not anyone else other than them. Like we're one of very few who've not conceded this tournament, which is huge. And yeah. we haven't. Pickford made a couple of really good saves. Um, he's been excellent the whole tournament, but we haven't. We haven't majorly looked like conceding. There been sort of there was a bit of a patch in the Scotland game where um, they they put a bit of pressure on, but we weren't. It, that that was kind of the only time that I've been concerned. The more like my concerns have come from like up top rather than the back. We've just not looked remotely like conceding. They look fairly well drilled. They're playing quite well together. They seem to have quite good chemistry. Um, yeah, it's been working really well. Yeah, we've we've conceded about one and a half xG. I think just a little bit less than that across the three games, which isn't too bad at all. And we've obviously conceded none. So as you say, we we defended quite well, limited the opposition to fairly low probability chances when called upon. Pickford has made good saves, and then we've gone and scored two at the other end. It did. I agree with you. It does seem like this last the game against the Czech Republic was very similar to the Croatia and Scotland game. We were doing that thing again where we sort of come out absolutely flying, pressing high, looking like absolute world beaters. Looks like we're going to score five, six, seven, eight goals. And then we do that for about 15 minutes and stop. Now, in the Czech Republic game, similar to the Croatia game, we scored. Uh, I mean, obviously in the Czech Republic game, we scored very early. We scored, I think it was like the 11th minute or something. So within that sort of first 10, 15 minute period where we 
press really aggressively and are really on the front foot. And that that seems like kind of, I think, Southgate's ideal sort of mentality is we're going to be really aggressive for the first 10, 15 of each half, try and get a goal. And then, you know, we don't really need to do... Then we, then we just sort of keep the ball. And that's, uh, you know, that, that works well for him. That's game management to him. It's just we'll have the ball. Mm-hmm. We'll keep the ball away from the opposition. So therefore, away from our goal and limit them to very few chances because they don't even have the ball. And we're very good at that. We're, our pass completion and number of passes is off the charts, but when they're not, we're not very penetrative with it. Our progressive passing is pretty poor in comparison, but we're, we keep, we keep the ball very, very well. We've, it's similar to what sort of Spain have done, I guess. And it worked yesterday because, oh, not yesterday, whenever it was that we played the Czech Republic, because um, we scored. But I think the line between that Czech Republic game and Croatia in comparison to the Scotland game is, is simply that goal. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but because obviously a goal is a big deal. But the performances themselves aren't that much different. It's just that we managed to convert a chance. And then, as you say, we just never look like conceding. And that is that is really important. Um, but yeah, so it do, it does. the pattern of the game is pretty much the same. Obviously, something that was different during the Czech Republic game was a couple of lineup changes. M- uh, Mings gave way for Maguire uh, at left centre back, and Jack Grealish came in by necessity um, for Mason Mount. We won't get into the rather uh, complex <laughs> ridiculousness re- reasons <laughs> as to why Ben Chilwell and Mason Mount had to isolate, but that is. Is what it is. Um, and none of the Scottish players had to. Well, they do now. They can isolate in their own country for the rest of the tournament. <laughs> Indeed. Callum's not at all happy about Scotland going out of the tournament. Um, but either way, Jack Grealish came in for Mason Matt. And obviously, as I say, Maguire came in for Mings. Dear, we'll start we'll start with Maguire coming in because I think that's, that's the easier one to deal with. Um, did you think that made much difference? What are your thoughts? No, no, not at all, which is... Ideal, really, given how solid we've been at the back and how solid Mings has been, to be fair to him. Hmm. Um, it was quite, I would say, a necessary change as soon as he's fit, get him in for Mings, get him, especially, especially in this game we've, where we've essentially already qualified, just get him in. Um, we had already qualified by that point, in fact. Uh, Maguire, he, um, it was good to see him play a full 90. He didn't get subbed off, did he? Um, no. Which is quite surprising for a player like just back from injury. And he didn't, it wasn't like he was blowing steam by the end. He was fine. Slotted in kind of seamlessly. It wasn't, it, the, the biggest compliment I can give is that it wasn't a, like you didn't notice the change, which is exactly what you want from a centre-back when you're subbing someone in for a defence that haven't conceded yet. Because if there was a change I've noticed, it would be <laughs> conceding. It wouldn't be positive. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, I agree. It was the sort of thing when I saw it, I thought... Look, we, we were quite critical of Mings leading up to this tournament. And I think fairly so. I think he had a fairly poor season, particularly back after the season with Villa. I think he looked really poor in the war-up, warm-up games. But then he looked, in, in to his credit, very, very solid in both the Croatia and Scotland game. Um, so I did think, is it necessary to swap him out? But, as you say, Maguire is the better defender. If he's fit, you want to get him sort of, properly match fit leading into those knockout games so that he's prepared for within theory the harder games um, and even even though as you say you, I sort of forgot at times that Maguire was on the pitch um, 
But when you go back and watch it, you do see just a little bit more dynamism in his passing. He's, he, you know, yeah, he's trying. He played one. He played one through to Kane, didn't he? That chance that was actually. It's just that's it. That's what he brings you. His passing's just so much better than anyone else in that position in the squad. Yeah, hundred percent. He he really he really just helped Justin build up a little bit more. He's a far, as you say, far better on the ball. I think he he had the most touches out of anyone on the pitch. He had a sort of near to 90% pass completion, which look, that those sort of figures can be misrepresentative if you're constantly playing easy passes. But as you say, he, he does offer the opportunity to stretch teams as well. He does try the more sort of progressive passing. He does try and pass between the lines. So he just offers something a little bit, a little bit different, a little bit more. Mings was very solid, whereas I think Maguire can sort of give us just a little bit more on the ball. Um, so... I think I think that was largely a good change, but as you say, nothing um, particularly crazy. Um, but how about Grealish coming in for Mount? Because I must say, Mount has... I think we spoke last time, Mount has been fairly disappointing. Um, he was sort of mm-hmm. playing as sort of 10-stroke, more, more advanced 8, but he was sitting a lot in the left half space and pushing into the wide areas. Uh, and he just didn't seem to be offering enough on the ball or really off the ball to sort of warrant his place in the squad, really, to be brutally honest. I just don't think he was offering all that much or what you've come to expect from Mason Mount. So what did you think of Grealish coming in and replace that role? Um, It was interesting because it's not a role we've seen Grealish play much this season. He um, he normally, he's normally out on the left for Villa. Um, he, sorry, I'm, I can feel a sneeze coming. It's just like, um, no, he was he was good though. He, I thought he was quite well. He and um, Sterling especially were very fluid. Um, he was out on the left quite a lot. Sterling ended up in that in the middle in that ten roll um, quite frequently. Saka um, rotated a little bit with them, but not as much. He kind of stuck to his wing and just ran at them, but like. Sterling and Grealish seem to be very much on the same wavelength where like if one was in the middle the other knew they had to be on the left or vice versa they kind of there wasn't much it didn't look like there was much communication there they just kind of knew which is really good to see um get like it's good just great to see from some attackers I thought Grealish was pretty solid um didn't do I can't remember anything massively of note that he did um, I, 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 it's not, it's not his best position, but he's perfectly competent there. Uh, I think of everyone in the squad, it's probably the best decision to play him there instead of Mount. Yeah, what, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I think, I think despite Mount not being particularly prolific so far this tournament, I think what I would have been concerned about with Grealish slotting into that midfield role is whether he can offer the same pressing intensity or even pressing desire Grealish isn't a big presser he's not a big defensive player whereas Mount is obviously very tenacious in that he's very disciplined in that even Mount hasn't been great but and I don't think his pressing has been that great but he still put up I think something like 22 pressures in the Scotland game but Grealish actually look he didn't quite match it but he was up at 16 I think pressures second only to Calvin Phillips maybe Harry Kane as well but I think Grealish in terms of successful pressures I think we put up the second most of any England player against the Czech Republic. So he definitely put put his um, 
put his defensive diligence in. Um, he obviously got the assist for the goal, helped by a little deflection, but good movement, a good a good little dinked ball over the top. And yeah, obviously offers quite a lot on the ball. I, as I agree with you. I don't think it was quite his best game. I don't think he offered as much as he has done previously, and certainly not as much as he offers for Villa. I think, I think him playing centrally does just mean that he gets crowded out sometimes, and the most joy he gets is when he's able to drift wide. But I guess playing him centrally does then still allow you to play someone like a Sterling who's going to get in behind and then allow Grealish to drift into those wide areas, which is what Mount seemed to be doing a lot of, but not as effectively on the ball as what Grealish can offer when he gets the ball at his feet and starts running at people. So I I, I thought it was okay. Um, I, there's a decision to make, I guess, if Mount, Mount is back and available for Tuesday against Germany. I mean, I don't know exactly what um, Southgate's going to do formation-wise. I wouldn't be all that surprised if he did switch to the three at the back um, for the Germany game. Definitely. But we'll see about that. He might want to sort of keep the four and outnumber Germany in the midfield, but we'll I'm sure we'll touch on that a little bit later. Um But I thought I thought it was an absolutely fine performance from Grealish. I think it wasn't sort of setting the world alight. He wasn't clearly the sort of game changer that I think everyone thought he would. I think a lot of people think just put Grealish in the side and we'll win eight 0 And that's not it's not the way it's going to work and I think particularly playing more centrally he had to be a lot more disciplined than perhaps he can be when he's playing wide and has a bit more freedom but he was he was good and it's nice to it's nice to see him get I didn't quite get nine, 90 did he got maybe a little bit over an hour I think about 70 minutes he played and that's good to get him some minutes in the legs and hopefully he can make a difference against Germany whether that's from the start or off the bench mm. in the Scotland game, I thought that we struggled quite a lot connecting back to front. I think Maguire's inclusion helped in build-up quite a lot. But I also thought that Phillips played a slightly different role. He ended up dropping into the right-back position quite a lot to form a three in build-up, which just gave us a really nice set of... a better range of passing, essentially, from a deeper position that could help us just transition through the lines and hit the hit the width a lot quicker. He played a couple of nice balls sort of over the top to, uh, I think, Foden and obviously Sterling as well. Um, so that, w- that was that was really nice to see. Um, what did you think of Calvin Phillips' performance? Um, I thought he had a much better second half than he did first half. Okay. Um, I'm sure you're... I'm sure you'll dispute this because there was some tactical reason, but I've got I've got written down here that he was fairly invisible in the first half. That was how I felt, which is is fine as a defensive midfielder. That's you're not you're not there to be winning all the plaudits, but it was it was definitely a very very different role to one we've seen him play for England before. Certainly, it was different to the role he played in the Scotland game, let alone how high pressing he was in the Croatia game, where he kind of he was the noticeable one who was on the ball all the time. Um, and I, I, I really rate Phillips. I do. I think he's probably if um, if if Henderson start it will, comes back in and is starting. I think he's probably my choice to put alongside him rather than Rice, because um, I think they probably complement each other a bit more. Um, I, I yeah, Phillips is is just Rice was for. 
some, something that a lot of the West Ham fans I know sort of compliment Rice on the most is his like turning over a possession, he'll win it back and then play it out really quickly or pick a pass really well. And he just, he really didn't seem to be doing that against um, the Czechs. He just, he sort of, he would win the ball back, but he almost looked a bit rabbit in the headlights sometimes in a way that Phillips just doesn't. Given Phillips has never like been at a major international tournament before, this is his first time. He just looks so calm and composed and never like, he never looks under any pressure, even when he like very clearly is. When he's surrounded by three players, you're never like, doubting him thinking shit he's gonna like panic and give the ball away here he's just so confident and calm and i think that must be that must be really like positive for the players around him knowing you have a player like that who you sort of you pass the ball to and it'll just stick to and you're probably not going to lose possession when he's on it it's 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 the same thing as when you when you're as a defense you have a solid keeper behind you you have that that confidence you know if you pass the ball as long as you get your part right this player's not going to mess it up for you it's a big it's a huge confidence boost yeah, agreed. It's it's interesting on Declan Rice because I think he's I think he's played that deeper holding role very adequately. You know, he's he's moved the ball fine. He's been diligent defensively. He's made quite a few blocks. He's tackled very very effectively and broken up um, attacking transitions from the opposition. But he's just not been anything more than that. I think he hasn't he hasn't sort of helped transition particularly effectively. He's always kept things really simple. Whereas Phillips whether he's playing in that advanced that slightly more box to box eight, or whether like he did in the second half against the Czech Republic once Henderson came on, playing in that deeper role, he just seems to be a lot more willing to okay receive the ball off the centre backs and try and ping passes uh a lot further up the pitch, try, try and be really progressive with what he's doing. You just He seems to be a bit more willing to take a risk, which I think in a team that is very, very conservative in England, the way that we're playing at the moment, you do need a bit of that. And I do wonder whether that is slightly telling that when Henderson came on at half-time, rather than just do this straight swap for Phillips, which would have made more sense, Henderson playing in that kind of more box-to-box eight role and just leave Rice as a holding midfield player. He uh, Southgate decided to take Rice off and then drop Phillips back and put Henderson in that um, more box-to-box role. And I think I do think that's interesting because prior to that, obviously, Grealish playing as the 10 meant that Phillips had to stay quite deep anyway. He was dropping quite deep in build-up regardless, but I think just to offer a bit more defensive solidity to allow Grealish to do what he does. We really did play properly with two sixes. When Henderson came on, he pushed up a lot more and just left Phillips to occupy as basically a single pivot. And I just wonder whether Southgate does trust Phillips a lot more to do that. I think we said it pre-tournament when we were talking about the squads and stuff, that Rice is an excellent player in a double pivot. But if we're playing a single pivot, I do think Phillips is the better option just because he's so used to playing as a single pivot and you just trust him a bit more defensively to screen the entire back line. And also he's just a bit more comfortable dropping in, taking the ball off centre-backs, turning and distributing. And I think Southgate must agree because I think taking off Rice for that is quite telling. And I think the question I would pose to you, Cal, is number one, what did you think of Henderson's cameo, those 45 minutes? And also... Do you see that being the way that we're going to approach 
the knockout stage of this tournament, do you think Henderson's going to come back in? Do you think he's he's ready to play 90 minutes consistently? And if he does, do you think Phillips drops deeper and Rice drops to the bench? Um, I, I think I think these past, well, three games really, Phillips has made himself undroppable. Hmm. Um, I think just the way he's played, he can't, you can't drop him, you can't like, it's, at international tournaments, you have to balance it between form and ability, obviously. Um, but I, I like when someone's in form that good, you just can't drop him. Um, so for me, it has it has to be Rice dropping out. I don't think Rice is a bad player at all. I just think um, Phillips has had a much more successful tournament, and and like you say, you trust him a lot more on his own because Henderson is going to push up a bit more. Um, probably be a bit more progressive with his passing. Um, he's that sort of player. He's great at it. But yeah, that won't doesn't doesn't have as much defensive responsibility within that role as Phillips does within that role. Say covering Rice. Uh, I with approach to the knockouts. You kind of touched on it earlier. I really I. I I think we'll probably switch to a three against Germany just to match their wide wing backs. Um, I see the logic of trying to overload it in midfield, but I feel like I feel like I don't. I just don't trust though. Those Germany wing backs have looked really, really, really good going forwards, and I feel like we could become very overloaded if it's just them running at our wing backs. Um, I think I think we need a three to counter that really, and especially now Maguire's back, we can we can play that three. Mm-hmm. There's not I I even though he's played well, I I still feel uncomfortable with Mings on the left side of that three. Um, I think we'll probably see Walker drop into centre back and then Trippier come back into the team. Um, because that as well that will probably give us a bit more defensive solidity on that right side and Southgate like clearly values that from Trippier um, especially against Germany with um, I've forgotten his name Grosens Grosens on that wing who's yeah he'll just be running at them they kind of they need that extra support I think I I, yeah and I think with that that midfield too we don't need we don't really need Rice in that midfield I think Henderson and um Phillips are a much more like complementary pairing in that midfield, regardless of who's up front ahead of them. Yeah, I think I think if you're playing the three four three, so just a two man midfield, then you probably do need someone with the more multifunctional abilities in Phillips to play the deeper role, and then someone with the ability to connect back to front in Henderson to just offer a little bit more while also still being quite defensively sound in his own right, Jordan Henderson. Whereas if you played someone like Mason Mount, is he particularly great in a defensive sense in the defensive third? He's a very good presser, but is he sort of positionally really great as a holding midfield player? Probably not. Whereas Henderson can play as a holding midfield player, but can also play very, very well as a box-to-box eight. So I think having two players that are very, very comfortable playing as a holding midfield player, and also, as Phillips has shown this tournament, and obviously Henderson for his entire career, very, very comfortable in the box-to-box eight role as well. So having that, those two to do that, I think is 
probably quite quite smart. Um, what about what about quickly then? Just on Harry Kane, obviously had I think it's probably fair to say quite a disappointing tournament so far. Um, no more so than his performance against Scotland. Did you think he was any better against the Czech Republic? Um, I don't think he was much different, to be honest. He had a couple of chances. Maguire put that ball through to him, which uh, was it? Did he? Was it saved? Was it? It was a decent save, wasn't it, from the shot? Um, probably should have scored it, to be honest. But it is what it is. I just we don't have another option. We we said this last week. There isn't. There isn't really a. There isn't much debate to be had because the the squad that Southgate's brought, we do not have a replacement option. There isn't, regardless of how we think Kane's played, there is not an option who fits his role in that team. We haven't we haven't got any alternative. So it kind of, which I don't think is very helpful for him either. He's one he's one of the best in the world. He shouldn't need that sort of oh I could lose my place to get you to perform. But when you there definitely there must be a psychological thing if you know no matter how badly you perform you will be starting no matter what happens you'll be starting because there simply isn't an alternative yeah it's true I mean I presume like he has that at Spurs and still performs consistently well he's obviously also the captain so as you say you wouldn't expect him to need that but I don't know we said we said last time that in the Scotland game he just didn't look fit and I think the frustration for me in the Scotland game was Scotland were playing out from the back, but also not great at that. And if you press them high, you are going to win the ball high up the pitch. And Harry Kane has got to lead that press. Against Scotland, he put up four pressures. That That's ridiculously poor for a striker that should be pressing from the front and we should be trying to take the ball off Scotland. And for me, given the fact that Harry Kane, our captain, and as you say, an absolute nailed-on starter consistently for England, was substituted for someone that isn't really a nine in Marcus Rashford, says to me that he clearly was not doing enough. He clearly was not doing what Southgate wanted him to do. So for me, that says those four pressures aren't reflective of him playing in a system that doesn't press a lot. That's him not doing his job. Against the Czech Republic, he put up 22 pressures. That's like significantly higher. That's like a ridiculously better differential between one game to the next. So there's an improvement there. I'm I'm glad to see that he's obviously not sort of injured or can't be bothered. I don't think anyone was going to level that at Harry Kane. I'm sure he is bothered. But he was dangerously close to looking like he didn't give a shit against Scotland, which I don't think is the case. But he, he was he wasn't good. My my concern is still that he only put up something like 0.3 xG against Czech Republic. Now, obviously, take those figures with a grain of salt, but he's not getting himself into positions where he can really look dangerous, where he can really sort of convert chances. Other than the the sort of chance he had at the back post against Croatia, he hasn't had sort of great chances. But I do feel like he's not putting himself in the right positions, and that just concerns me going forward because our number nine is not scoring goals. And we haven't looked like scoring that many goals. Both of our goals have come from Raheem Sterling, who I think has been solid this tournament, but largely he's a player that's been that most of the fans are calling to be dropped out of the side. So that's slightly concerning. But I do think that the performance against Czech Republic was better from Kane. I just think he needs to start looking a bit more dangerous in the box. And then just really, really quickly, Jaden Sancho. Uh, I I don't understand Callum. What's he What's he done wrong? What's he done wrong? Not playing England. 
<laughs> that yeah. I think that that's the only explanation I can see. I just I just, it's mm. baffling. He's the <laughs> I watched it on um I had it I had the England game on an ESPN stream mm. and the commentator said um Oh, Jaden Sancho's had a bit of a poor season. And that, that seemed to me, I was like, hang on. In my head, he hasn't. Let me just check the stats here. He's got 36 goal contributions in 38 games. And this commentator mm. sat here going, oh, he's having a bad season. Because that, that's that's what everyone must assume. If, you, like, if you're not aware of him, because lots of fans won't be, because he plays in the foreign league, and most fans are kind of only aware of their own league, which is absolutely fine. Um, it's not fine if that's the case for Gareth Southgate, the England manager. But as a casual fan, it's absolutely okay to have never seen him play before, maybe in the Champions League. Hmm. Um, but like, <laughs> what's he done wrong? I don't understand it. He, the lad's, what, uh, is he early 20s? Like, I'm not sure exactly how old he is. He's young. He's just like had an amazing season for um, Dortmund. He's linked with United every transfer window for the past, uh, what feels like forever. Um I, I just don't understand, and we're crying out for that sort of that sort of player. It was, I, I just don't know. But to be fair, to, uh, one thing I will say, we haven't really mentioned it. Um, the position he would have taken up if he'd have started in that team would have been ahead of Saka, who I thought had a really good game. Actually, a surprisingly good game for a young lad on his first like major tournament game. I thought he stretched the defence quite yeah. well, put a few like really good balls in and didn't didn't kind of you you often expect a young lad to kind of panic and be a bit under pressure, but he just didn't look like that. He looked very calm. San- Sancho, as you say, brilliant season consistently for the last two, three years in Germany. I think the frustrating part is Southgate turning around and what, what did he say? Like he said that he's realistic of the ex- uh, expectations he can put on a relatively inexperienced player. Jaden Sancho is not inexperienced. Uh, he, not he's, played, he's played consistently for the last two two seasons, let's say, but a little bit over that, at a top-level club, at a top-five league, playing Champions League football, and has looked unbelievable. He's obviously probably... He's 21 years old. He looks like he's getting a move to the Premier League this year, to Manchester United, for about £85 million. I think that's sort of what we're talking about this player's worth. Can't get minutes in the England in an England team that have scored two goals in three games against Croatia, Scotland and the Czech Republic. He couldn't get any minutes against Scotland when we were nil-nil going into the last 30, 20, 15, 10 minutes. That is, that is really frustrating. And I agree with you. I thought Saka was good. Saka looked quite direct playing. Um, he ran well. But let's be honest, Jaden Sancho would have done the same, if not better. And Yeah, oh, absolutely. And Bukayo Saka, while an excellent young prospect in his own right, has no right to be getting into that squad ahead of James Sancho. And I, I don't, I don't like this sort of attitude of people have a right to sort of be in a squad ahead of somebody else that's like less experienced, or people just have a sort of god-given right to get some minutes or any of that sort of stuff. Southgate's got his right to pick whatever squad, whatever starting eleven he wants, but. If I was James Sancho, I'd be expecting him to be training diligently and getting his head down and just carrying it on. But privately, I would be quite frustrated. Like, you'd be looking at the performances that you've put in this season, 
presumably the sort of effort he's putting into training. Obviously, we can't actually note that, although Southgate has said that Sancho has been training well. I'm sure he wouldn't say otherwise. But I, w- I would be quietly very, very frustrated that I'm not getting any minutes when, let's be honest, England have really, really struggled to create chances. Mm. And Sancho is probably the best winger in the world at creating goal-scoring opportunities, shot-creating actions, expected assists, even expected goals. The guy is prolific and he creates in abundance for um, Dortmund. It's the same sort of thing, I guess, you can level at Jack Grealish in terms of seeing, being such a excellent creative player that can't seem to break into the England squad because he isn't quite fit. But I just don't think that's the case with Sancho. I think Sancho fits because I think he, he is quicker than Grealish. He can get in behind. He can vary his play style. He's a bit more similar to someone like Foden. So I don't think it, in terms of him or Saka, I, I really think he could have played that role and you wouldn't sort of lose anything tactically. So I I think that's really odd. I think if I was James Sancho and I saw that squad come out, that starting 11 come out for that Czech Republic game and you see that Saka start, starting essentially ahead of you, I think you would kind of go, I'm not sure about that. That does seem quite harsh on him. Yeah. And, and I, I, I mean, if I were him, I'd be fairly insulted by the England manager coming out and calling me inexperienced. Mm. When I've just checked, he's played 125 games over the past three years. Like, yeah. for Dortmund, <laughs> for Borussia yeah. Dortmund, he's not playing in, like, League One. He, like, I, I just don't know what more he has to do. And I kind there's obviously a lot of flippant, oh, Southgate probably doesn't watch that league comments mm. being made. I just, I... I I feel like that's so ludicrous to believe it, but I really am starting to because I just I can't I can't see any other reason. He like I, I, I it's beyond me why when you've got that player who is that creative and exactly what we need on that right yeah. wing, I don't understand why why he's, he's not starting and he's not even made the squad in one game. Like yeah. it's absolutely beyond me. It's it, it is it is crazy. I mean. He's got he's got over two thousand minutes this season for Dortmund, and he's managed to rack up seven minutes in this European Championship. As you say, wasn't even included in the twenty three man squad for Scotland. Sorry for um, Croatia. Didn't get on against Scotland when we were nil nil, and got seven minutes. And that seven minutes feels very throwaway. That seems oh yeah very very just his his a bone. Enjoy yourself. It's nothing. It's nothing. Um, such a shame because I really love. Look, I am playing him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't really, I don't really understand it. I think, I think it is almost insulting to play Saka ahead of him. Even though, as we say, I do want to say that Saka was good, and I'm not necessarily complaining about Saka getting minutes. I just think it's a shame that he's getting them ahead of Sancho, who definitely is more deserving, at least on club form, of getting minutes. But that's that. Anyway, should we move on to? other games that have happened so far our choice of favorite game yeah. to start with what are you thinking so well i've i've put um i've put portugal france but it was kind of the combination of portugal france hungary germany it was the first time <laughs> yeah. that there was any drama all tournament it was fun we were there were like we were playing a different opponent like every, every 2 minutes it was so much fun <laughs> it was kind of I've got this to come on to, but as the format that UEFA have the tournament with a load of third place teams going out, 
it means these group stages really haven't had much drama. Hmm. There's kind of because there's not there's there's very how many groups are there that there are more than two teams who should definitely be qualifying. You're not having any if if you slip up you go through in third. Yes. This this um but that like final final game week of those two games I had mm. I had one of them on and was sort of doing some other stuff and then like it started getting really interesting. I was like, nah sod whatever I'm doing, mm. put the other one up on the other monitor. Yeah. So I had them both. It was just so much drama. I loved it. It was it was excellent. It was a great game. I think as, as you say, I think the there's a pro and con to the format. I think the pro, I guess, is that the games stay interesting, arguably for longer, because nobody is sort of come completely sort of out of the tournament after the first game or two games or something. You know, it, it stretches on, and that la pretty much in every group, I think, uh, bar maybe one or one or two, everybody could still qualify going into that last game. Um, which is which is quite interesting. It keeps things sort of fun in the tournament. As you say, it does sort of take away some of the uh, the risk element of it and what exactly the stakes doesn't feel like there's much to it up until that last game where, you know, it genuinely looked like for a minute Germany were going home, um, which which is, and Portugal for a bit as well, could have, could have dropped. So that was really exciting. In terms of the game itself, I mean, Portugal finally did what I've been begging them to do for the last two games, which is start Renato Sanchez, because he offers so much more dynamism in the midfield. I mean, he's he's changed the games when coming on in that midfield role, because before they were playing two holding midfield players, essentially. And now, with a more dynamic eight, it's just, his ball carrying is wonderful. He actually just, he just is explosive. He presses well. He's winning the ball back high up the pitch. He's creating stuff for Portugal. It's just, you love to see that sort of play. It's just so, so, so much aggression high up the pitch. And also, it's not just, okay, I'm going to win the ball. It's, okay, I can actually do something with the ball once I get it. It's fantastic to see. Um, so he was excellent. I thought it was quite interesting. I think that Portugal carry Ronaldo a lot because it's just, you have a player like that, you kind of have to build around him and just let him do his thing. And look, he's not going to offer you much off the ball. But they, he did he did seem to be trying to basically drop off into a sort of false nine role and sit on Pogba or something, who was trying to dictate the play quite a lot from deep, to try and just disrupt him. Look, he wasn't particularly aggressive in his um, pursuit of Paul Pogba, but he did make things a bit more difficult for him, which was quite interesting to see. France have been... We'll get onto it, but France France haven't been great. They've not been explosive. They've not been quite what you might hope from France. Um, Mm. But... They were sort of dropping Kante into the left-back role in build-up. I mean, Benzema's been quite good this tournament, I think, and obviously took his goal very well and obviously scored his penalty too. Um, But they've not exactly... I I mean, that pass from Pogba to Benzema was absolutely wonderful. That was a good goal. But they've not exactly been explosive. But that was a great game, and obviously with the, the Germany game going on, uh, alongside it, it did just make for quite a compelling, a compelling evening. Um, in terms of my favourite game, I would agree with that. Or the other one, I would say, is the Denmark Russia game because I really enjoyed seeing Denmark hammer Russia and also just quali- <laughs> you know to see them qualify as well after everything that's happened. It's great to see them go through. They played yeah. very, very well 
they've sort of shifted to this back three just to be a bit more defensively sound and it just seems to be working and they looked they looked against Russia what I anticipated them looking like for the entire tournament just really expansive nice team to watch some really exciting players and they're scoring goals and that that's really nice to see so uh, they're, they're, I think, again, ones to watch now going through the tournament because they've got quite an easy last 16 game, but we'll talk about that in a second. Um, what about your favourite individual performance? So I, I, I think this was my answer last week, but De Bruyne, um, mm. he was just excellent again. Pings passes all over. I have in, I've got, I was a little stuck here. It's the same game. So I've also put a special mention to Hideki. Radecki, I'm going with that. Who um, he scored an own goal, which is why he's not um, he's not the standout individual for me. But he, I, he just had another solid game. He's had a really solid tournament. Has been like saved some shots. He has no right to be saving. Um, I was gutted for him when he put the own goal in because it was just really unfortunate. It was a mistake. Mm. Um. At least it didn't affect the outcome of the game. That's kind of good overall, I guess. But yeah, De Bruyne was just as he is. He just ping. He makes everything look so effortless. So he just he never looks like he's trying. He doesn't look like he'll sometimes like the only times he like breaks a sweat is when he's running. It's just like he just looks. He makes everything look like he doesn't even have to think about it. He just does it, and then the ball is exactly where he wants it to be. It's just. Yeah, I think he might. He's probably my favourite player to watch in world football. He's yeah. just so, just so good. Yeah, he's he's an unbelievable player. I think I think I had, yeah, I did Bruyne as my favourite performer last last week or last last game week. Just just phenomenal, um, and Belgium just very quietly ticking over, aren't they? I just think they've looked comfortable in pretty much every game, but bar the uh, Denmark game that. They looked inferior for the first half, but then in the second half just were different class once De Bruyne came on uh, and Hazard. They just, I mean, the depth that they have there, I mean, Hazard's barely been playing. Um, so great options there. And I think Belgium, Belgium are just quietly want to watch. I think my favourite individual, from, other than Renato Sanchez in the Portugal game, who I thought is just great, great to see him get sort of uh, extended run of the team is uh, the Mikel Damsgaard at Denmark. Um, the young lad, I think he's twenty. Um, he's sort of a, I guess, an attacking midfield player. He's playing as one of the inside forwards at the minute in the four three. Uh, sorry, in the three four three, and took his goal very well. Really nice ball carrier. Just seems a really nice link player as well. Just one I hadn't sort of watched too much of, but has been absolutely. A real bright spark, actually, this tournament, given, obviously, sadly, um, Denmark lost their probably most creative player in Christian Eriksen to uh, unforeseen circumstances. He has stepped up and been a real creative outlet for them. Mm. And he looks like an exciting prospect. He's at Sampdoria. Um, He's played a lot of minutes there. I think 1,700 or so. Um, so I think he's he's one to keep an eye on I could see him getting a big move at some point and he hasn't done 
his um, prospects any harm at all in this tournament. I think he's looked very, very good. Other than his dive in the last game, he did an atrocious uh, dive to try and win a penalty. But got booked for that, and he looked very sheepish after he'd done that, very embarrassed. So that's always good to see. Didn't appeal or anything. So he's that's looked, good. He's looked very Ericsson like He's kind of fit mm. into that role very, like, very, very well. Mm. The, uh, the, the commentator on the game I was watching thought it was Ericsson who'd scored which is kind of a baffling name to hear shouted. I was, I was like half watching and then he was like, oh, it's Ericsson. I was like, what? <laughs> like, am I missing I something think, here? I don't think it is. <laughs> I really don't think it was. Yeah. yeah. It's a great goal though. Yeah, it was a great goal. Perfectly top um, corner. Yeah. And he hasn't sort of been able to do it too much um, this tournament just because of the way that Denmark play. But for Sampdoria, he's a really, really aggressive presser. Um, so I would love to see him sort of get himself into a, a a big team that presses very well. I mean, if uh, Marcelo Bielsa is looking for a midfield player for Leeds, <laughs> I think he'd be a great option. So please come and get him. Um, but no, I think he... he Marcelo he would... Bielsa, number one fan of the pod. Yeah, he's, def- he's definitely listening. I mean, if, if you are, please give me a job because I would like to work, <laughs> to work for you. Um, but no, I mean, he, he's been brilliant, so I'd probably have him down as my um, favourite individual performance. And he has, he's, he's really been a bright spark for Denmark this tournament. Um, biggest surprise then, this game week? Uh, yeah, so I've got, I've got a team and a player here. Okay. So I, think we, I think we've been doing it as team, but I just wanted to comment on... Um, we, just, we were on the Belgium game. Jeremy Doku, the mm. winger. I hadn't... I haven't... I don't know if I've ever seen him before. I was looking quite ignorant of me, actually. He's played 30 games for... Um, Ren. I can't remember who he plays for. Ren, yeah, Ren, Ren. this season. Um, he looked great. He was really direct. Mm-hmm. Made l- loads of really good runs in behind. Um, probably benefited from having De Bruyne playing the balls in for him. Mm-hmm. But he just... He looked... The, the Finnish defenders really didn't know what to do with him. Which I think that's something you get, you do get from a young player, he's quite raw, kind of a lot more unpredictable. Uh, he was just rapid, looked really skillful, very, very positive player, and he's only nineteen, twenty. He's nineteen, yeah, yeah. He's uh, it's, a, it's an interesting one, Jeremy Doku, because he he he's perennially one of those um, young up and coming talents, um, mm. sort of your foot your football manager star sort of uh, sort of player. Um, he was brought in by Wren from Andelect and I'm not sure if they were going to do it anyway but he's basically replaced Rafinha Leeds got Rafinha from Wren and Doku's basically played played in his role uh, this season whether he, they were it's a player they were going to get regardless of whether they sold Rafinha or not I'm not sure because um, the Rafinha deal happened very very late for Leeds but he, he's absolutely excellent I remember seeing it and I was really glad that we got Rafinha, but I definitely like, I had a bit of a moment just briefly where I thought, why don't we just go and get Doku? I mean, if Ren already have Rafinha, why don't we just get Doku? But I mean, I'm not complaining about that now. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Do- Do- Doku, Doku's brilliant. I mean, he's, I mean, his ball carrying is obviously his his biggest biggest asset. I mean, he dribbles the ball so so much, so much. I mean, he's. 
he's exciting and he's been he's been had a solid season for Renault. As you say, he's just one of those he's one of those players that you just enjoy watching. It's exciting every time they get the ball and you just think, okay, what's going to happen here? And as you say, it's really difficult for defenders to know what to do. So yeah, I loved him. I, I wanted him to get a few more minutes this tournament, so I was really glad that he's he managed to get some some game time um, for Belgium in that last group game. Um, so that's brilliant. Um, what was your yeah, biggest my... for the team? Yeah, surprise. Uh, so I was going to go Hungary. Just because I think I know, I know they've not qualified. They're out, but they had a really tough group, hmm. and they just across the whole tournament. They've honestly they've quite impressed me. They um, hmm. there was there was a point they might have been going through during hmm. the game. Um, unfortunately, didn't happen. But they just they've they've just been solid. They've scored they've scored three goals all tournament, and they've played three of the best sides. Um, they're, yeah, they've all they've been really tried. They've outrun and they've outran every single team. They they earned that point against France. They outran them in thirty two degrees heat or whatever it was. Mm. Like they just yeah, there's there's not not much tactical analysis there. Just they've they've really impressed me. Sort of the passion and the the approach they've had. They they didn't they haven't they could have easily come and parked the bus and tried to get three points and gone through on a naught goal difference three points because that would have done it for them. But they didn't. That wasn't their approach, and I really respect that. Yeah, it was. It was. I think what I really liked was. Yeah, they have been predominantly very defensive, but they've, as you say, been quite expansive when going forward and have really hit teams when they can. And they've been sensible about it. They've they've not just sort of accepted defeat and rolled over, but they've tried to absorb pressure when they should. They've sort of tried to uh, attack and create chances when they can. They've got a lot of men forward when the opportunity has arisen. As you say, earned that point against France, even though France were, you know, clear, clearly the stronger side. And against Germany, what I loved is obviously they went one 0 up and held on to that for a while, and then it must have been so demoralising when that equaliser goes in. But to immediately go up the other end and retake the lead, that takes some character, and it's one of those where you've just kind of got to talk in cliches and uh, very sort of um, just not analytically, as you say. You, it's you know, it's just terrific ca- character from a side that had absolutely no right to be competing at this level and that is very very impressive so fair play to Hungary because as you said I did think for a minute well for a minute we were going to be playing them in the next round because um, <laughs> yeah. they were going to go through in second place and um, that's that's quite phenomenal quite phenomenal um, how about your biggest disappointment then from this game week uh, well, was Hungary your biggest surprise as well Oh no! Yeah, sorry. My big, my big surprise was Spain. Actually, I mean, I did not, I did not see them scoring five goals against anyone. They've been a side that have been no. passing the ball around for fun and have not really been doing much with it. And suddenly, for some reason, they decided to just hammer a team. Um, so that was, uh, <laughs> and I, I obviously that was I, interesting to see. It was nice of them to actually um, yeah. turn up for a minute. I mean, obviously. <laughs> Slovakia were fairly abject, um, but I mean, I, you know, you've got to kind of say fair play to Spain because they've actually finally put a result on. Cause <laughs> I, I, I think what was it that I said last week that Spain was sort of sleepwalking into a a group stage exit, and I mean, yeah, they woke up today, didn't they? It sums it up. It sums up my luck that I I can't remember why something happened 
I was watching it and I had to leave at about the 40th minute and then I got back at about the 75th. So I missed, I got the Dubravka own goal, which as a Sunderland fan was really, really fun to watch because it was just a hilarious goal to concede. We love, mm-hmm. we love like howlers like that. Um, and yeah, no, and then I missed every single other Spain goal and then came back and watched the final 15 minutes where nothing really happened. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, yeah, that is, that is unfortunate. Um, I, look, I, I, it's one of those, Spain were clinical, but they, they hardly sort of, they didn't have to work very hard for their five goals. And I think if I was Slovakia, I'd be quite disappointed with that. Um, as you say, you know, you've got an own goal. I think you had quite a bit of poor defending, but that, that is what it is. Spain, Spain did their job and let's see whether they can progress uh, out of the last 16 and how far that they can go. Because I, I still think they're still quite a blunt attacking force, but I, I think the confidence of scoring five goals can't hurt, can it? No. Um, how about your biggest disappointment then? So, I, I haven't really... So... There haven't really been many disappointments because of the format of the tournament. I don't think there's... I think Turkey might be about the only team that I expected to go through and haven't. There's kind of... There haven't been any big shocks. There's not been any big teams messing up and dropping out. Um, so I, I, I'm i going to... Controversially, I'm going to give my biggest disappointment to UEFA for allowing allowing so many teams to go through because for me it's just made this like group stage into an extended um uh qualifiers because mm. it's kind of now the real tournament starting i'm also when i when i'm bashing uefa i'm also going to go in on their pathetic stance um on the berlin stadium rainbow mm. flag debacle i'm not there's no need to go into it but they released they they released a statement saying like, oh this is this is something that we like fundamentally believe in and agree with. But clearly they don't agree. They only agree with it until like a like really horrific regime come along and go sorry this mm. offends us and they go oh it's all right we don't believe it anymore it's fine we hate the gays now. Um, yes. It's just just quite frustrating. I don't really think there are political statements within sorry that, that, sorry that that are political statements within football. I really don't think protesting like barbaric uh, anti-gay um, laws is political <laughs> to be honest it's not I don't know it's not it's, it's saying these people have a right to exist which they I, do regardless of what you think I think I, I think uh, I think what's frustrating as you say UEFA released a piss poor statement to say that essentially they don't see the rainbow like flag or captain's armband or light up at the Alliance Arena as a as a political symbol but they do think that Germany's request to light up the stadium in the rainbow is political because it's pro- uh, um, it's basically protesting against a regime and I just it's absolutely ridiculous. of course it's a political statement there's so many political statements in football. Football is inherently political. Mm, absolutely. The political the political statement is that people that belong to the LGBTQ plus community deserve the same human rights as anybody else. It's not controversial. 
Of course it's political because too many political regimes don't seem to think that that's something that should happen. It's it's absurd. And I think to to stop the German national team from lighting up their arena in any colours that they want to for something that is so that should be so non-divisive, such as acceptable human rights for everybody, to, you know, d- despite their sexuality, is a, an absurd stance to take just because the Hungarian government is fascist and can't stand the idea of homosexuals having the same rights as heterosexuals. It's it's absolutely ridiculous and what a terrible embarrassing statement from UEFA to release yeah it's so not I and I, re- I really did there. I really did enjoy Ma- I don't know if you saw it Manuel Neuer um, his press conference afterwards the rainbow captain's armband he had he like slipped it onto his hand and he kept like wiping his mouth scratching his face like all during the interview <laughs> that was quite enjoyable nice brilliant <laughs> yeah who was I didn't see that disappointment? Um, well not not quite on the topic of politics, although I do think that's a very good one. Uh, I, I said France because I just think that France have been been quite disappointing. I think they they've played okay and they've got the job done, but they've hardly look. They they played the hardest teams out of everyone as well, so you've got to give them a bit of credit. But they got past Germany based on an own goal. They obviously then drew to Hungary, and look, they probably should have beaten Hungary. They probably created enough to beat Hungary, but they didn't. They didn't take their chances, and that's football. And then they obviously drew to Portugal. And I thought that that Portugal side was there to exploit. And they didn't look that comfortable defensively either, which I think will be a concern going forward. Particularly, they, you know, Luca Dean got um, injured. So I guess they've still got Hernandez, who I think started the game. But he came off, so I wasn't sure if there was an issue with his fitness either. Because then Rabio ended up playing at left-back, which is a slight concern. So... I just, I just don't think they've been as convincing as you might expect for a team that were, you know, oh, obviously the favourites for this tournament. Clearly have the strongest side. You know, the talk was that their C team could come and do very, very well in the tournament, probably win it. So I, I don't think they've really blown anyone away. And I think all of those teams, despite Germany and Portugal obviously being strong sides in, in their own right, Germany were coming into this tournament really poor form. Portugal are there to be beaten. They're a good side, but they are there to be beaten. And obviously Hungary are hungry. As we say, they played very, very well this tournament. But you, as a side like France, you should be beating them. And France haven't, you know, they've they've relied on an own goal. They've drawn to the worst team in the group. And then obviously drawn again to Portugal. Um, and, you know, obviously scored, scored a penalty as well, which was probably not a penalty. I mean, we haven't spoken about that, but that... Um, France penalty. I'm not sure if you saw it. That was, I mean, a, a I can't very remember bizarre. the one. Were there three penalties in the game? There was three penalties. The, the France penalty was one where Mbappe basically was running in behind. The ball was chipped over the top. There was no way he was getting there. And then supposedly he was sort of elbowed out the way by the defender, just sort of running across him. Um, but uh, yeah. there was not. There was not enough in that. I thought that was a really, really soft penalty. Um, VAR has so, been quite poor this week, actually. There are a couple of howlers from it. For, for how much I would actually have complimented it the first couple mm. of game weeks of uh, yeah. the tournament. For Obviously, VAR within the Premier League specifically is a shambles. Um, mm. It's done far better throughout Europe, and it has been up to those sort of higher European standards this tournament mm. until that there was the offside decision against Lukaku when he's in line, maybe his toenails offside. I, yeah. hate, I hate those decisions. Yeah. 
give there isn't a single whether you're a defender or an attacker give the benefit like you want the benefit of the doubt given to the attacker mm. that's like you just need to sort of take that stance because you get more goals that's that's just yeah. just do that yeah I completely agree VAR has been good mostly and then yeah this week it just seems to have all slowed down and been a lot more um, laborious with their decisions and sort of I, I felt like it was giving more of those sort of level decisions the right way to the attacking side I just thought it just wasn't sort of if it looked on side it looked on side I just felt like they were going with that sort of decision making process with maybe a little bit more slightly you know slightly more in depth look, look at it but then they just you know referees have now started going over to monitors and stuff and we're just taking a lot longer with decisions and I don't pissing around with the lines all, for offside yeah exactly it's almost if you like need they, the li- if you need a line to see it, then it's not clear and obvious. Yeah. So don't call it offside and move yeah. on. Like I agree, that's, I don't get it. I think I think I think the big thing is I think what you want VAR to take out of the game is those decisions where, as a fan, you feel like you've been hard done by because you look at a decision and you go, clearly that was offside. Clearly that goal was offside. Mm. Nobody is going to look at these level decisions and sort of go, oh well, look, his his kneecap is ever so slightly offside or his armpit's offside. They're all going to go, that's level, fair enough. Like it's tight, but. You know, that's a goal. Yeah. No one is going to complain about those decisions. It's a, it's the ones where obviously a big big mistake has been made by the linesman. That's the decisions you want VAR to be in, intervening in. So it's it's such a shame and ho- hopefully next season will be a little bit better in the Premier League, but we'll see whether that's actually done. Anyway, let's move on to just a little recap of what we did uh, groups-wise. Mm. What we called groups and what's actually finished because... We got some wrong, which is yeah. perhaps not surprising to anyone that knows us. Um, but group, group A finished Italy in first place by a margin, Wales in second, Switzerland in third, and Turkey in fourth. I think we both had Turkey going through in second. Turkey have been yeah atrocious. so bad. Yeah, not that they just they've they've done nothing. They were kind of everyone's dark horse, and then <laughs> just. I have literally done nothing. They, they've been so disappointing. So disappointing. Um, so yeah, we got that wrong. I think it's fair to say that Wales have been quite impressive um, and fully deserve going through in second place and fair play to them, um, mm-hmm. I say. Although I'm sure you'll be angry that a home nation has got through. <laughs> it's fine. When they get knocked out later, it'll just be <laughs> more amusing. Fair enough. Uh, Group B, <laughs> we both did call right Belgium going through in first, Denmark going through in second, and then obviously, mm. uh, I think I would have, I think we both would have had Finland and Russia the other way around. Fair play. Yeah. I, I, but Finland's three points came against the Denmark side that had just had been told they had to play on post-tragedy. So not to take too much away from Finland, <laughs> but they probably didn't deserve those three points. Um, and I'm yeah. sure they wouldn't contest that. I'm sure they would agree that they shouldn't have been playing that game. Oh yeah, and definitely. It, and it, it, look, it's a shame for Finland as well, because that's their first major tournament win, and it's completely undermined by uh, another event that should have never got in the way of the football um, but that, that is what it I is I think so- it's probably it's quite fortunate though that <coughs> that hasn't that, that result hasn't affected the um, the group at all mm-hmm. yes, I don't so Russia's Russia are on three points but their goal difference is low enough they wouldn't have gone through as third place anyway Finland yeah. obviously haven't gone through um, and Denmark and Belgium have that's, that's yeah. good <laughs> at least the outcome yeah. was what it was yeah, agreed. To be. I mean, they. It's a it's a very very good job that um, 
Denmark beat Russia by three goals because otherwise they would have lost to Finland on the head-to-head, I think, if they had uh, only won by one goal, maybe. I don't know. Well, maybe not. Maybe they would have still had half. Anyway. It goes into like a mini league yeah. without the yeah. other team, doesn't it? Anyway. Um, yeah, so we called that right and it's good to see Denmark maybe just showing a little bit of form going into the knockout stage now and hopefully they can they can progress further. Um, group C then is Netherlands in first, Austria in second, Ukraine are going through in third and North Macedonia going out on four. Now, we did not see Austria. We have... Yeah, we said Netherlands, I was going to say, did we have Ukraine and Austria the other way around? Yes, we did. Um, and I'm not sure we. I'm not sure I would have called Austria qualifying for the knockout stage, even in third place. No, um, but they've won I, twice. They've looked solid. Um, yes, they have won twice. I mean, obviously beating Ukraine and North Macedonia, but I. I don't think they. I don't know. I don't think they've been great. I thought North Macedonia pushed them quite a bit, even though they ended up winning the game. I think three one. Um, I think I think the Netherlands the Netherlands have looked good, but they've had quite an easy ride of that group. I I, I genuinely mm. think they've sort of it's made them look a lot. I, I kind of think Italy have had that same benefit actually, and I do think that both of those teams will get tested quite severely when they come up against a better side because I think they've walked through a group. I mean, Austria qualifying in second place. I don't think they've been great this tournament, and I don't think they're a great side. And they picked up six points and qualified in second place. That's yeah. sort of bad to me, but. I must say, I'm disappointed in Ukraine. I thought they would offer a lot more. Um, but they are through, so mm. fair play to them, and we'll, we'll see what happens there. So we got that slightly wrong. Um, group D, obviously England in first, Croatia in second, Czech Republic in third, qualifying in third as well, I might add, and Scotland at the bottom mm. with four. I think, um, I think I probably called Scotland finishing ahead of Czech Republic, which obviously didn't yeah, happen. Yeah, I feel like I did too. Um but yeah, they were just disappointing. the The whole tournament, really, they kind of yeah. they got their point. It's strange because Scot- Scotland played very well against the Czech Republic. I thought first game they were okay against England um, without really creating too much, and then I think were pretty abject against Croatia. But I think more so Czech Republic. Czech Republic have been su- more surprisingly good than Scotland have been inherently bad. Um, Czech Republic have done very well I think to pick up their four points and Schick in particular up front has done very very well and scored some good good goals Um, so interesting to see how they progress and I think Croatia having looked quite poor to begin with obviously got that job done against uh, Scotland quite convincingly and have gone through in second place where we thought they would at the start of the tournament and we'll see if they can we'll we'll see if they still look quite languid and pretty um, bereft of ideas in the knockout stage or whether they can sort of turn something on and uh, progress any further but they've, they've not been great this tournament um, Group E we said Spain and Poland going through first and second yeah got that completely and wrong Poland Poland have been poor without sort of being out of any games they've sort of been in every game and sort of lost by a single goal here and there but just have not been able to to win anything it's been very bizarre and Sweden are just one that have sort of 
been really boring but have just picked up results like they picked up that draw against mm. Spain opening day and I think that just set the tone and then they beat um, Slovakia 1-0 with a penalty um, and then obviously went and beat Poland 3-2 just about yeah so, last minute winner yeah so I I I mean Sweden have got Ukraine as well so I mean we'll go on to those fixtures in a second but they've got a chance here because they they, they mm. have been defensively pretty sound other than against Poland where they conceded twice but um, yeah we were way off there and Spain going through in second they'll be disappointed with that because they should not be going through in second place they should have been winning that group and winning it convincingly and on that note how is Adama Traore still like still a, like he, he got some minutes against um, Slovakia at right back <laughs> like what what are you doing just give him a chance to run at people properly I, I, I can't, I can't yeah. fathom it and they so, changed their wingers as well they like they put out a different side I don't yeah. <laughs> just beyond me when like they Absolutely seem to be crying crazy. out for some some sort of pace yeah I mean yeah they've been starting uh, Sarabia and uh, Gerard Moreno in the wide areas um, and I just think I mean neither of them are really out and out wingers so why not try something a little bit different but who am I to judge they won their last game 5-0 so yeah. <laughs> um, I, guess, I guess they're okay and then finally Group F um, we had France and Portugal in first and second place as it happens Germany actually finished second although I think looking at that group it's obviously very very even across almost all of them I mean Hungary were very very close to getting themselves at least four points as well and it all could have been very different but I do think that Germany have been in this a lot more than I thought they would be. Although Hungary almost did do a number on them, which was my prediction at the start of the tournament. But as it happens, actually, they managed to just about get a draw against Hungary. But they've not exactly been convincing. But nor of anybody in this group. Does nor honestly, <coughs> the, the, there's not a standout. I know, I know, Italy have won everything without conceding, but there isn't like. I feel like at this point of a tournament, normally, you maybe have a, all right, France are probably going to win this, or Germany are probably going to do it. There isn't that team. Like, there are, there are a number of teams who could go on to win this, and it wouldn't be overly surprising to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think it, I think it's, it's wide open. They're, as you say, I think teams that have dominated their group, you've got Italy... Belgium and the Netherlands all going through with nine points and I think all of those teams are yet to get properly tested I think Belgium would probably look the most convincing I think they I think they're the ones that I look at and think they'll be okay yeah. but I do think Italy and the Netherlands in particular there's there's a lot of areas to exploit there anyway should we take a look at the um, last 16 games and maybe just yeah throw some predictions out there go on so Saturday 26 I'm not going to go through all of them so uh, it's Wales Denmark to start with um, mm-hmm. who do we think is going through from that I think I don't know score probably Wales you, you're, you're saying Wales I don't I don't like that that they'll probably go through but I feel like it's just the sort of game that they go and win with a Bale yeah. masterclass I think I, th- I think it'll be tight um I think that Wales will struggle a little bit more to get in behind this Denmark side at the moment, as long as they stick with that back three. 
Um, and obviously Denmark are off the back of a really convincing performance against Russia, where they won 4-1. And going into this tournament, I would have said that Russia were probably a better side than Wales, uh, although Wales have shown to be a lot better than that. So I think it'll be tight, but I, I'm, I'm going to back Denmark. Mm, okay. So you're back in Wales, I'm back in Denmark. Then uh, second, we've got Italy Austria that evening, um, which I I I can't see any alternative to Italy going through. Really, I don't. I I agree. I mean, we I just said that I think Italy are yet to get tested, and I can't really see Austria being the team that really no. tests Italy. They've got they've got a slow back line, but I just cannot see Austria convincingly getting in behind that back line and causing them problems. Italy looks so comfortable, and I think they'll brush past Austria. Yeah, absolutely. So then there's Netherlands, Czech Republic. I think Netherlands again. They're just just you can't really look past them for that, can you? No, not really. Although I do think that that is probably the biggest test of the obviously that the Netherlands have faced so far. And oh, I do I do think Netherlands will win the game. I do think Netherlands will win the game, but they haven't been that great defensively. I do think they'll concede. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think that might go to penalties. Mm. That's my. Guess. It wouldn't. That's yeah, it would, it's one of those that it. I I wouldn't be overly shocked to see an upset. Mm. I I, yeah. I I I think the Netherlands will win. But I, yeah, if it if it comes out, I don't know if it if if we're if we're talking next week and Austria have beaten Italy, I'm going to be baffled. But yeah, if Czech 100%. Republic have beaten Netherlands. I mean, like, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I think I think that is the first one where you could say, yeah, the upset is. The Netherlands should be winning this game, but the upset is very much a possibility. And don't write the Czech Republic off on that one. Yeah. So then we've got the the first big game: Belgium versus Portugal. Uh, yeah. For me, I think Belgium will probably edge it. I think we've both been very complimentary of Belgium. They just, I think it should should be quite a, well. It will be quite an open, entertaining mm. game. But I, I just, I'd be baffled. Well, not baffled, but I just, I, th- I think, I think Belgium should have enough to do it yeah it's, a, it's another one where I'd probably put my money on both teams to score um, mm, definitely although, although I can somewhere. exactly I think Bel- Belgium are fairly solid but I just I just think again with those slightly slow outside centre backs there's potential there for someone to get behind you can definitely see a, a, a Ronaldo penalty I mean it just mm, seems absolutely. to happen consistently um, but on, on the flip side, with Pepe, who's quite slow, Ruben Diaz, who hates defending big spaces in behind him, I think Lukaku... Just because oh, I hate defending there. It's yeah, like... Yeah, but, <laughs> um, but there is a bit of that. Um, with a De Bruyne passing behind for Lukaku or something, I just feel like they can stretch um, Portugal quite nicely. So I, I, I see Belgium kind of coming out with that. And I, I, it's one of those where I do think both teams have scored, but I do think it could also be quite comfortable for Belgium. Like a 3-1 or something I think could quite easily be the case. I'm expecting yeah. a big Lukaku performance there. Because he's, he's just horrible to play against, I can imagine. He's so good. He's just a monster. So he's rapid. He really is. He's really strong. And he knows, like, and he's, yeah. he finishes. Like, he's just, he's, he must be terrifying to play he, against. He's one of those deceptively quick as well because, as you say, he's so big. Mm. Not not often do you get a player like that who's so comfortable being the target man, just hit him, hold the ball up, involve people, and also can turn and go the other way and just run in behind mm. people. His acceleration is really yeah. impressive, really, and he's really relatively two footed as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Like that's 
He got. I know he got a lot of stick at United for his touch, but like his, he is. He'll finish on his right just as well as he does his left. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And he's actually, although he looks quite awkward doing it, uh, he's. It's almost like a piece of crouch in that he's actually very comfortable with the ball at his feet and dribbling. You don't. You don't expect it. It's the same with Peter Crouch because he was so tall. You just think there's no way this guy has got any sort of ability, and it looks really uncomfortable. It's the same with Lukaku, but actually can dribble quite well and has quite. Quite good feet. Um, so yeah, yeah, he's another one that's just so much fun to watch, particularly with a De Bruyne in the side as well. You just think, what what a partnership that is. Yeah. What's the next game then? So we've uh, Croatia-Spain. That should be quite a uh, mm. tight one, to be fair. Yeah. I don't know what to call that. I could definitely see extra time and pens there. Mm. I'm, I'm Potentially I, I, Spain just nicking it. I'm going to back them. I don't think it'll be convincing either way, but I, I'd, I'd I, go with Spain. I would my my sort of outside bet would be a nil nil, and then through to penalties. I could easily see that they yeah. they're just both teams that just don't penetrate at all. They just sort of keep the ball fairly well, and I, I just I think for Croatia, for example, I think they'll be quite happy to try and keep the ball when they get the chance. Quite happy to let Spain keep the ball and just stay quite defensively sound. And would be quite happy to take their chances either on the break or through penalties. I think Croatia will see that as their best chance. If they can just... They'll be loving the fact that Spain just don't really want to attack. Just mm. let them have the ball. It's absolutely fine. They're not going to hurt us like that. So I, 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 w- I would kill nil now. Watch that be like a 5 all draw now. An absolute thriller. That's <laughs> the way this is going to go. Um, oh, no, no. Well, I, I've said it'll be even. You've said no goals. That means at least 6 or 7 nil. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> Oh, good. Yeah, that's the way it's going to go, isn't it? Uh, yeah, so then it's France-Switzerland. I, I, You can't really look past France for that, can you? They they might not have been as good as everyone thinks they... or thought they were going to be, but I I, I don't see Switzerland causing them a massive amount of, a massive amount of trouble. Yeah, I, I agree. France haven't been great, but as you say, they should quite comfortably win that game. And this this will probably be their easiest game so far. I think obviously Hungary should have been, but Hungary was a difficult game for different reasons. I just they should blow past Switzerland. I, I look at I look at Switzerland. I don't really know how Switzerland have got here. I think they've been awful. I mean they they managed to scrape a draw against Wales, and I think both both teams in that game were really poor. Um, I mean uh, I think Switzerland, Switzerland Switzerland are one of those that have not played well and have picked up four points, and I, I don't really quite know how, but. We'll see. I, I can't. I can't see an upset there. I. I, I can't. Like surely, surely not. Uh, we'll then we've game. got the big one: England, Germany. Mm-hmm. You have to back the boys, don't you? It's gonna be. It's gonna be two-one to England. And the my prediction, my controversial prediction: the goal line tech is gonna fail, like it did in that Sheffield United game. Um, and the the Germans are going to score a goal that's gone over the line, but it's not going to count, and we're all going to be really smug and have our revenge. Wow, you've really, you really, you really been holding on to that grudge, haven't you? You've not <laughs> it let my it go. First, it was my first ever World Cup that I can remember. I was like, oh, this is good. England are like through, and then Frank Lampard scored. And like, Dad, did that not cross the line? He's like, yes, it fucking did! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yeah. 12-year-old 12, 12 me absolutely traumatised. Um, it it was madness Um, yeah that's going to be an interesting game because I'm not quite sure what to expect from Germany as you say I can see us switching to that that 3-4-3 
trying to just match up with Germany, try and stop Gosens from uh, excelling down that left-hand side by doubling up on him with Trippier and Walker. Um, it's just a case of whether Southgate would rather sort of have a man over in the midfield and go, actually, look, we'll, we'll play with the four. We'll accept that we might be outnumbered in that area of the pitch because we've been so defensively solid anyway. So maybe we'll just deal with playing with the four. Um, we'll outnumber them in midfield. We'll have, um, say, Rice and Phillips or Phillips and Henderson occupy what will probably be Gundogan and Cruz, who have mostly played in that pivot for Germany, and then give Mount or Grealish just a lot of free reign in between the lines, because uh, you basically have just an extra man. And either one of those, particularly a Grealish, could really excel in those areas. If he basically doesn't have a man occupying him, it would force one of those centre-backs to come out and deal with him, and that could leave a lot of space in behind. If, if let's say, Ginter gets drawn out of the right centre-back position and then you've got Sterling bombing on into that gap behind Kimmich, who's having to push quite high and wide because he needs to offer the width because uh, Germany have been playing with basically two midfield players as the inside forwards in like Havertz and Müller uh, in behind Nabry. So they haven't got width there. So the width has to be offered by the wing-backs. And if Kimmich is pushing up really high, Ginter gets drawn out to deal with Grealish then Sterling could have so much joy down that sort of left channel. Um, so I could see that being a way, but you do leave yourself quite susceptible to go, go the other way because then suddenly you've got presumably Walker, Stones, Maguire and Shaw dealing with um, Gosens, let's say Muller, Nabry, Havertz and Kimmich. But perhaps having Rice and Phillips drop in would actually counteract that well enough Rice could drop into the back three like drop into form of back three and maybe you're then okay um, particularly maybe if Rice or Phillips drops into the right centre back position like Phillips was doing in build up against the Czech Republic maybe that kind of offers the same protection that having the Walker Trippier in a back three would have just have basically both your holding midfield players sit really really deep mm. that's a time to basically play Rice and Phillips as your two sixes I think I would be inclined to do that stick with the four but have one slash both of my sixes sitting really, really deep and dropping into that back three to offer that protection against Gosens and also Muller slash Havertz slash Nabry because they all kind of interchange quite a lot and just really be really disciplined at watching your zones and then just allowing Grealish to operate between the lines, getting trying to pull one of those centre-backs out to give Sterling that space in behind. Um, and yeah, just r running at that back three because that back three is not very good or quick like no Hummels, they've been Gunter and Ginter they've been very good at pushing out both like Ginter's been getting quite high up mm. the pitch um and yeah. putting crosses in I really don't think he'll be able to do that against England he can he can try mm. and then whoever's on that left wing will have masses yeah. of space imagine what'll happen is he'll try it once we'll probably get a chance from it and then that'll be that yeah. they'll just sit as a yeah. sitting three the whole time and not move yeah. from that yeah I think so I think so um but then you know then I think we could, I think having that man over in the midfield would be really really important then because you kind of want to draw one of them out or at least just have that man in between the lines just have it all the time in the world because um, yeah. Gundogan and yeah. Cruz aren't exactly no neither of them are particularly like defensive like complete defensive midfield players so I don't think either of them will want to sort of just drop back and deal with Grealish um, but yeah should we do a um, proper score prediction for this one then. Yeah, go for it. So you're saying two one. I'm gonna I'm gonna go 
Oh, I said, I think I'm going to go one nil. I don't think we're going to concede. I think we're going to have another Jordan Pickford okay. masterclass. <laughs> I I think. You see, my head is telling me one nil because that's what it's been the entire time so far. Um, are we going to stay defensively sound? I can kind of see us going one nil down. I'm going to say one one. Then England win on penalties. That's what I'm going to say. That would be nice. Although it wouldn't do my heart a lot of help. No. (laughs) The the amount of times during the football season where, like, my my watch gives me a little bing of, like, are you doing intense exercise? Like, no, (laughs) no, I'm just watching, like, this (laughs) shite again. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty innocent. Um, Is that all the games or are we missing one? There's, uh, There's Sweden, Ukraine, I think. Oh, okay. The, there'll be a pretty nothing game. Sweden will probably go yeah. through one or two nil. Like, yeah, I yeah, that's another one that I would guess nil nil with penalties. But yeah, I would fancy probably Sweden. I think like a an Isaac or something, just one chance. I think it's about time he scored. Um, brilliant. Yeah. Well, that that wraps up our all of them. Yeah, preview of the last sixteen. Um, so we'll be back after the last sixteen, which I guess is. 30th or something like that I think it finishes on the 29th so yeah. we'll probably have a probably have a podcast out on the 30th or the at the or the yeah or the start of start of July but somewhere around that sort of <laughs> the first yeah. day you yeah the first yeah. <laughs> trying to figure uh, out if there are 31 days in June or not <laughs> just 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 counting trying to get that song um but yeah so we'll be we'll be back for that but thank you very much for listening to this episode I hope it's been enjoyable I hope you've been enjoying these this one's a little bit longer than we probably anticipated but sometimes we just talk mm. too much um yeah. but yeah where can they Fair check us out on so- yeah absolutely where can they check us out on uh, social media Cal? uh we are at eafc underscore podcast on twitter we're um everyone's a football critic on facebook uh we our links to sort of everywhere that you can listen you're, you're obviously listening to this now if you've got this far but there are if you might be listening to it on your non-preferred podcasting <laughs> platform, we're on Spotify, Acast, and Apple Podcasts. <laughs> so f- find us everywhere. Yeah, amongst a couple of others as well. But all the links are on our Acast website if you want to go and um, check that out. Uh, but thank you for very much for listening to this one. Uh, please recommend to a friend if you feel so inclined, or like, subscribe, review, whatever it is that you can do to help. Any engagement really helps. Um, hopefully, over the next few weeks and after the tournament as well we'll be a little bit more active on twitter posting a few different pieces here or there i'm going to try and do some more visualizations of uh data reports and that sort of stuff to try and give a bit a bit more an insight so if you think you might be interested in that sort of stuff please come and check us out should be a lot of fun but yeah we'll see you in a few days after like the last 16 hopefully england will still be in the tournament and we will have watched some great football Uh, but thanks for listening to this one see you next time